Action Park Media. Today we are talking infertility with the amazing Jasmine. Now Jasmine shares her journey openly and honestly and she gives us a bunch of tips, a bunch of advice because there is a lot of misinformation out there and actually a lack of information around how we can help get our body in tune with its own cycles, things we can do to help or things we might be doing that are hindering our chances of getting pregnant if that is the journey that we're on. She is an absolute wealth of knowledge and a delight. This is Pretty Depressed with Jasmine. All right, so I have the lovely Jasmine here. Now, Jasmine, you have a podcast about infertility and I feel like probably like most people my age kind of went through school being like, oh, don't get pregnant. And then now, you know, in entering my 30s where everyone's like, oh, it's actually super hard. So awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, for those of you, who, for those listening who don't know your story, could you kind of run us through up into this point and sort of why and how you came about doing this amazing podcast? Yeah, no, absolutely. As, sorry for clarifying <laughs> your podcast, not my amazing podcast. <laughs> your own podcast. Um, yeah, so my husband and I got married in 2020, just before COVID hit here in New Zealand, uh, literally weeks before. Um, so the plan was to go to the Maldives and have a lovely honeymoon, which never eventuated. So once we knew that wasn't happening, I came off contraception. Like most people, had been on the pill since I was like 16. Uh, didn't really know my body. Uh, so I expected it to take a little while. I guess, to kind of come back to normal. And I didn't have any expectations on getting pregnant immediately, Mm -hmm. but I also didn't expect it to take this long as well. Sure. Um, So, yeah, I kind of had a few things going on, polyps and weird things going on with my cycle once it came back. So we got them sorted, kept trying, went to the doctors, did all the right things and got blood tests. And then um, after 12 months of trying and nothing happening, we got my husband to go and get tested uh, because that is important. If you are listening, it is not just the female. Um, it is really half and half of who can be the one that's um, potentially got things going on fertility-wise. So his test came back not looking great. Uh, and so they did another one. And my cycles weren't looking great either. And then his doctor actually referred us to fertility associates here in New Zealand um, we're based in Taranaki, so we had to travel to Hamilton. Um, there's no one local to us. So we went off to see them, and, yeah, pretty much that first appointment, it was you have a 1% chance of getting pregnant naturally. IVF is your only option. Um, see you later. And that was huge. Um, yeah, it's a big thing to be told. It's not going to be able to happen yourselves, and it's a big blow because at that stage I'd learned everything. I'd I was tracking my cycle. I knew I was ovulating, even though I had long cycles. I kind of done everything to understand my body and making sure we were doing it at the right time. Because that's a really important thing is that we don't really understand our cycles. We don't get taught. We, we know we have a period, but what happens those other three weeks of the cycle? When are, are you having sex at the right time? Because um, a lot of people won't be, and that's why they're not getting pregnant. It's not because there's not, it's not because there's an issue. It's because they're not timing it right. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we miraculously did get into full pregnant a few months later. Um, 
but unfortunately ended in a mis- miscarriage at nine weeks. Mm. Yeah, we're on the wrong side of all the statistics we've um, figured yeah. out. So yeah. it was an absolute miracle that we even got pregnant. Mm. Um, and oddly, it gave me faith in my body. I know it didn't end well, but it was like, oh, well, bodies can do it. Like mm-hmm. our bodies can figure this out. We were already booked in to start IVF that February. We ended up miscarrying, finding out we miscarried like middle of January. So we put it off a little while just to give ourselves time to heal. Mm-hmm. And I went into IVF thinking, oh, this is going to work. Our bodies did it once. This yeah. is going to work. Like easy. No, not so easy. Uh, so we did first, our first round of IVF. One embryo didn't work. Um, and have now done a second round of IVF with one embryo, which also made it to the freezer, which is a good thing. It made it to five days. And unfortunately, when we went to transfer it, it didn't defrost. It didn't stay alive when it defrosted, which was a 1% chance um, of happening with our embryo grade. So we're now at the stage that we're about to do IVF round three. Yep. In the midst of all that, I had a good friend that was also trying to conceive. She knew all the stuff, so she knew all the cycle stuff, and she was, like, keen as to be a mum and had been her whole life. Yeah. So she was kind of educating me throughout it, and we were leaning on each other. And it was in those first few months where she'd been trying a little bit less than me, but she'd been off contraception. Her body was primed and ready to go. Yeah. And we really, like, leaned in on each other, being like, this isn't so easy, like, we know that so many people have it worse and you hear all these stories, but this also wasn't easy. This, these first few months of thinking it's just going to happen and it doesn't and those all those pregnancy tests you take and whatnot, that's really hard. And we were trying to find a podcast to listen to to kind of hear other people in those moments, not necessarily at that stage at IVF mm. um, because we were hoped we didn't get there. Yeah. But like, who can we listen to? Who else is just talking about this? Like, we can only lean on each other so much. Yeah. And we just couldn't find anything out there in New Zealand based. There's a lot out there, American and um, UK. Yeah. Which are amazing. But it was like, oh, okay, so if it does get to IVF, what what happens in New Zealand? Yeah. Like, it's so different to overseas. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what actually made us do it, but one day we just, the bullet, and we just decided, let's just go for it yeah beautiful I love that okay well thank you for catching us up and I am sorry for your journey and in the sense of I know you're kind of making the most of it and you're turning into a positive and you're educating and stuff but it I imagine there's a lot of heartbreak through those stages as well especially with with miscarriage so I'm sincerely apologize and and condolences to you for that because I can't begin to imagine the hope and delight when it does work and then for it to not you know eventuate I'm yeah really sorry about that um and in terms of cycles and pill and stuff so yeah I've been on the pill probably yeah same as you since I was a late teenager disguised as some kind of like uh you know um just for my skin but not really you know like all these other lies that we tell ourselves but it's really like oh totally want to make out and not get pregnant um what kind of uh I mean, are we amongst most common kind of of our age who kind of did go on the pill and have just stayed on it for a period of time? And what damage are we doing? And what are your what are your tips or advice for like coming off it? What can I expect when I go through that season or what can people expect? And what do we need to look out for? 
Yeah, it's very common. Our generation, I think, it's still happening now that a, a young female will go to the doctor and it might be acne, it might be a heavy period, it might be cramps. All of these triggers will just be like, we'll put you on the pill to put them at bay and works. So mm-hmm. I understand why. Um, but what's really important and what I've learned throughout this time is it's actually really important as a young female getting your period for the first time, having a few years for your body to figure itself out. Mm. What is its normal? What is its cycle? Because your body's learning. So throughout your cycle, your brain and your ovaries are literally communicating with each other. And that's the really important part. And that's what the pill shuts down. So that communication's gone when you're on the pill or a contraception of some sort. So it's really important. There is a place for the pill. Uh, Oddly, I am currently on it between IVF cycles because I have adenomyosis, which means I have really heavy, horrible, painful periods. And I want my ovary to settle, I'm sorry, my uterus to settle down for a little while and I'm severely anemic because of it. So there's a place for the pill, absolutely. Um, But when you've been on it for so long, your body has lost that communication between your brain and your ovary and it takes time. So the things to do is to continue your normal lifestyle in the sense of exercise and eat healthy, do all those things that make you feel good. For me, I genuinely changed when I came off the pill and it wasn't a good time. We were freshly married. I popped off the pill. I was crying like every second day. Mm. God knows what. I was actually quite sick a lot. Like um, my stomach was all out of whack. I was I was feeling unwell. Your gut is really connected with your hormones, so that makes sense. You are going to go through a hard period when you come off your pill, off the pill. It doesn't necessarily mean that the reason that you went on it is going to come back. Like if it's acne or whatnot, it's likely that you've figured out um, your lifestyle as you get older, and hopefully that's helped. But it might be that you need some help with. Um, your diet, nutrition, acupuncture, anything like that that can help regulate your body faster mm-hmm. just in the time that you feel horrible mm-hmm. because and it can be horrible. You, and what did you find helpful? Is it, I'm imagining it's kind of cutting out sugar, like what are some of the other things that what that were helpful for you? Actually eating more than you think. And as a female, you know, that's like fasting and all those kinds of things. They're not good for us in our hormones, and they're not. Everyone's different, obviously, and get advice, but it's actually eating a well-rounded breakfast to start your day well, reducing your sugar. But each meal, that breakfast, lunch, and dinner, your protein, your fats, your carbs, actually balancing to sustain yourself well throughout the day helps regulate those hormones and will help some of those side effects that you're having. Um, but it is learning what's right for your body. For me, I've reduced exercise. I used to go to F45. It's not good for me. Um, I end up sick when I do that for a long period. Yeah. So I walk, I do Pilates. I, you know, I've figured that out. Actually tuning into your body is a really important part and it's not something that we've done or been taught how to do. It's like, yeah, especially with our cycles and that it's, yeah, pop it, do a bit of research, whatever helps you understand it because I think that can help the mind. Hmm. as well. And did you get any blood work done? I've just actually had a friend going through this where they uh, in America here got blood work to like test their hormone levels. Is that something that we can do through the GP and stuff in New Zealand? And what are we looking for? Yes, so you can. Um, They will generally, if you want 
to understand if your cycles are working and what your blood work looks like, you can go and tell your GP. They'll do a blood test for kind of underlying conditions that could be passed on to a baby to clear you of anything like that. They'll do a cycle day two or three blood test. That's testing a lot of hormones, FSH, things like that. Um, and then they'll do a day 21 blood test to confirm ovulation as well. Um, one thing to note with this blood test, not everyone ovulates at the same time. So like a perfect cycle is 28 days, you ovulate at day 14 and then you have you know, your time between. So they're checking at day 21, seven days after your predicted ovulation to mm. confirm that you've ovulated. That won't always show up on that first blood test because you may ovulate at day 16 or you may ovulate at day 20 if you have a longer cycle. So continue to get that blood test every seven days until it confirms ovulation or you get your period. That's a really important message and a question I get all the time because people are like, oh, I did the one blood test, I don't ovulate. That's not necessarily the case. Um, our bodies are all different. Even if you have a 28-day cycle, you may ovulate at day 10. It may be completely different for you. And do you use a period tracker app? Yes. And yeah. do you recommend that, you know, if it is something that you are looking for in the future, that you should start kind of now tracking that period? Is that something that you would advise? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Track your period. Understanding your body is a key. Um, and it can help other parts of your life I'm, other I'm, than just... I'm grinning. Pregnant. I'm grinning because like... <laughs> You know, I think I probably am in the majority of women who, uh, you know, I have an upset tummy most of the time, like listen to my body, sure, but unless it's something that's completely putting me on my ass and taking me out of action for the day, I'm kind of like, eh, well, the show must go on kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm learning quite detrimental to our health and well-being because there is all these underlying things like, uh, you know, depression. So gut health is a big thing. And, you know, IBS can be linked to that. They're like, you know, how often do you get an upset time? I'm like, daily? And they're like, Kim, that's not good. I'm like, yeah, but it's not like paralyzing me. So I imagine that there are some of these things with fertility as well. And you say, learn your body. It's um, there are some challenges with that, I think, in terms of time, care, and resources as well. Did you find it exhausting? <laughs> um, I didn't. I actually found it really fun. Okay, great. Is it going to be the same for a lot of people? I understand. Um, okay. But I actually really leaned into it. I was like, okay, this is cool. This is an opportunity. Like, yeah. I should have been taught this. I really felt strongly about this. And I was like, okay, I've got the opportunity to teach myself. And it helped that I had Lydia, who's my co-host there, also really leaned into it and she did a lot of research and kind of educated me. So I guess I didn't have to do the heart research. Um, but I, it can be, and don't get me wrong, it wasn't all fun and games. Like waking up and taking your temperature every morning, first thing in the morning, it, it's not nice. It sounds really simple, but it's annoying and you've got to do it at the same you, time. What are you looking for? So you're tracking your temperature because when you ovulate, you'll have a slight temperature shift higher um, for post-ovulation until you get your period. So it's like a very minor, like 0.3 um, or 0.03 shift. So you need a thermometer that has like three decibel, decibel points. So you wake up and you're meant to take it at the same time every morning. Like there's all these rules, which oh I'm, I'm not perfect at, but you kind of put that pressure on yourself. So that's where it can be stressful and hard work. 
Um, taking ovulation sticks, if that, that's what you're doing, to you know, you're peeing on an ovulation stick every morning to see if you're ovulating and trying to work out if it shows you that you're ovulating or not when these things are all hard work. But what's important, like I use the Fertility Friend app, which has a free, uh, you can pay for it, but it has a free one as well. And I just, every morning would just pop in, like, what's my mood like? What, what? Do I feel like what was my temperature? Um, learning, you can cut this out if you don't want to go this gory, but um, learning what your um, cervical mucus is saying because that's really important. And if you're not having any, that's really important to know about your body. Um, what, are you, what are you looking for? Like, is it a consistency that's supposed to be prime? What is the prime consistency? Yeah. Let's dive in. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> Um, egg white mucus. So literally like what an egg white looks like before it's a raw egg white, you will get that. And a lot of people, because they don't know that, they might think something's wrong. When they come off the pill, they might like get this mucus and be like, oh my God, I've got an infection or something's wrong. Um, yeah. But it's actually really understanding. Like, so there will be at the start, after your period, you will have like dry hardly anything and then you'll start getting some creamy mucus that again people might think is an infection and then it'll change to quite wet and then it will change to the egg white consistency what that egg white consistency does is actually help the sperm make its way up so that's why it's really really important and that's around your ovulation time that's when you're like okay if you've got that have sex that's when it's going to help you get pregnant um and then it'll dry off completely until you get your period generally out of curiosity um and you don't have to speak to this to your own experience if you don't want to, but you can speak in more general terms. What is your advice to couples who are perhaps going through this? Uh, and I imagine it takes an element of fun out of lovemaking as well when you're like, get home now. I don't know how the conversation goes, but um, yeah, how, how what's a healthy way to kind of broach that and make it in fun or enjoyable or, you know, communication, I'm guessing? and. Uh, a big thing with the journey is communication. It definitely can take the fun out of it because I think most guys, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, they're just going to be like, oh, I just want to have sex when when we want to have sex. I don't want to be told when we're going to have it. I just want it to happen. And um, yeah. at first they're going to love it. They're going to lean in and be like, oh, yeah, telling all their friends, I'm sure I'm having so much sex at the yeah. moment. But as it gets down the track, it's like, when you're like, oh, yeah, I'm ovulating here. But it's about communication. So, like, I would give my husband kind of a bit of a heads up because my cycles were longer and sometimes they would kind of shift because me monitoring it meant that I had that, I was empowered with that information to communicate well with him. Cool. So I'd be like, okay, yeah, it looks like I'm ovulating. This is where I'm at. And so it would be like, all right, we just kind of learned every two days that having sex twice a day isn't going to help you get pregnant. Okay. Having sex once or every two days to let the sperm um, rejuvenate is really important. Okay. So, yeah, just communicate. So, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, obviously, and mm. you know, people have a bit of fun with it. Like they might dress up in the bedroom. They might, yeah. like, I don't know, try and surprise the partner a little bit. Mm-hmm. So whatever is good for you, but communication is the key. And being honest, if, it, if either one of you is like, I actually don't want to do it tonight because – Sex is an emotional thing um, yeah. in a relationship as well. And you're not always at ovulation time going to be in the best place in your relationship. Yeah. Um, a question around alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'm learning a little bit more about inflammation and how everything is the worst thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is, 
your stance on sort of alcohol as an inflammatory for both men and women during this process? Yeah, all the fun stuff um, pretty much is no good. Yeah, coffee, um, caffeine, alcohol. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's just it's just about limiting, um, which can be really hard because in a stressful time, that's generally what you lean to is, you know, alcohol or my kind of, going out, hanging out with friends, trying to trying to get that fun back in your life. Mm. Um, but it isn't great. And it's really, there's a few episodes on our podcast that we've had a few um, specialists. I've got um, a nutritionist coming on this season that really talks to that. Um, so it's not good. Reducing the sense of, if you have a hangover from a male perspective, it's definitely impacted your sperm. So if you're having a couple of drinks on a Friday night, not to worry, that's probably better for your mental health than bad for your body. Mm-hmm. So that balance is important. But if you're hungover, it's generally impacted your sperm. And I'm assuming that goes the other way for your eggs for females as well. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I want to talk about people on the outskirts of this experience, i.e. friends, family members. Uh what have you found in your journey to be behaviour that is not helpful and behaviour that is helpful? And I ask that because I do believe that people are most times well-intentioned but also love to give unsolicited advice. And uh, I've learned that um, more often than not when people are having fertility problems that people say, oh, you just need to relax or, you know, and let your body do it. So, uh, yeah, could you speak to what is and isn't helpful so that we know and as a, you know, family member, friend or whatever, we can keep that in our back pocket just to try to remind ourselves. <laughs> yeah, it is hard because most people will come from a good place. Yeah. And um, saying something is really better than saying nothing, but also that something can be really detrimental. Um, I think telling people to relax is the number one. Don't do it. Uh, if there's a medical problem, that's not going to help. And telling anyone to relax in any situation does the opposite. Okay. So that's not good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but other things like your expectations on your friends that are going through this, this has been the big one. Um, your communication may drop off. They may not be as present. They may not come to baby showers or even just general catch-ups if their friends all have babies because that's where the conversation ends up 90% of the time and you kind of sit there on the outskirts awkwardly. So giving them the grace to do that. Um, the communication thing comes down to it, but also not expecting your friend that's going through it to be your educator is a big one. Um, they can be depending on the personality type, like I am and I'm happy to be, but a lot of people that I talk to that are going through infertility really struggle to have to explain every step and every bit to their friends and family. So listening to a podcast, um, reading um, a book or because there's lots of easy to read books out there doing your own kind of research talking to someone that may have been through it and is on the other side of it now because there is a lot of us um so that you can kind of learn and then so if a friend reaches out to me and they're like oh I understand what this means it means the world to me but it's like oh they they care they're invested and you know your friends care going that extra step and actually educating yourself um, so that you can have a good conversation. But most of the time, it's just giving them the space and the grace. And if you send them a text message, don't expect a reply. Um, 
they may not be telling you exactly what they're going through right then, but they'll they're going through it. Yeah. Um, and they will tell you in their own time. But other good things that people do, like if someone has a miscarriage or a failed um round of fertility treatment, if you just drop off a meal to them, it's like the same when someone has a baby, like you know what people do, drop off a meal, um, send them a voucher like anything that you can do turn up to their house make food and also when you do want to communicate with them like my friends if they are pregnant because it's going to happen um communicate via text rather than a phone call or in person Mm. Um, it gives that person grace to process it because the further you get into it it is really hard to not have an emotional reaction. Yeah. But you also don't want to take away from that person's good news and make it about yourself. It's a real battle. Yeah. Um, so that text communication is key. That's really helpful. I appreciate that because, yeah, you're right. And I do believe everyone is well-intentioned. It's just sometimes people's tact is not. Um... <laughs> yeah, and I think people all kind of have know someone that's gone through something a miscarriage fertility troubles so it's really a lot of people will relate it to them and be like oh yeah I know so-and-so they did this or so-and-so did this and that stuff sometimes may be helpful but more often not they're not that person that's going through it's tried everything or they've researched everything and they know everything Mm. they just want you to be a friend you can't fix it they just want you to be a friend in the sounding board yeah that's great I love that um what a dream. What has been the kind of highlight of doing the podcast? Because I, I loved listening to some of Justine's episode uh, yesterday. But, yeah, for you, what what joy has this uh, business venture kind of embarked on your, uh, that you've embarked on, added to your journey? Um, the community. And I think it's just, it can be such a lonely, lonely journey, even if you've got a friend. So my co-host, Lydia, now has a baby through her first round of IVF. So that relationship that we had in those first few months isn't the same, understandably. She's now on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. So for me, I found that a real tricky point. Um, but having this podcast has meant that I have these, all these people here that get it and they're invested in my journey. And I, I still find that really funny. Um, but, I, you know, I watch, I watch the um, episode downloads and the ones where it's, I'm updating my story, they're the most downloaded. And it's like wow, these people really care and are invested. And I'm giving them something positive. Like I get these messages all the time that's like, oh, that resonated with me. That's exactly how I feel. You verbalised it without me understanding how to do it myself. Like, oh, the feel good. It it is hard um, showing up when you're emotional and stressed. Yeah, well, I was going to ask ask about that too. Like how do you... How do you show up? Because a lot of people will be going through this probably in silence or haven't maybe included their workplace or their family at some point or their group of friends. Um, what are some of your tips for showing up and how do you compartmentalise that? Or have you found actually speaking to it as a little bit of weight off your shoulders? Yeah, I think it is. I'm a, a talker, so doing a podcast was no surprise to my family. Um, they're like, oh, <laughs> that well, makes sense. Is. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, like, share more on this than I do, like, to my mates, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Absolutely. Like every time my friends listen to this, like, oh, I didn't know you felt that way or I didn't know that happened. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, you press record and you forget that it's yeah. going out to hundreds and thousands or thousands yeah. of people. Um, but yeah, 
for me, time is a big thing. So I don't ever release something as it's happening. Um, I will record potentially when it's happening or I'll actually record a few weeks later after something's happened to kind of make sure I'm feeling comfortable with what I'm putting out there and I'm actually processed it. Like I'm always going to put things out that I then later go, oh, I feel differently now, but I don't want that to be too drastic. Um, I want to represent kind of how it feels in the moment, but also how you can feel down the track to kind of give people hope a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is just time. And that's the same with actual fertility treatment. I always give myself a break and I have some downtime. And if like we had a big break between season three and season four because I wasn't in a good place. So it was like, okay, I recorded as I was going through my transfer cycle that didn't go well and I captured all those raw emotions. But I also then recorded um, a few weeks later to kind of wrap it up and I felt more comfortable letting that raw side out when I had recorded kind of from a better mental state. And when you speak and speak again as much or as little to this, when you speak about kind of that raw mental state, is that does that show up as depression for you? Does that just show up as more seasonal depression, anxiety? Like, yeah, what are you kind of, what are you going through in those, you know, moments that you don't want to share as they're happening? Um, I, I wouldn't call for me personally, I wouldn't call it depression, but the rate of depression in people with infertility is as high as people with cancer. So it is very common um for me personally it's more anxiety uh I have been diagnosed with anxiety in the past from a situation it's not something that I live with all the time it was situational uh and the situation brings that out again at times and for me it's really physical symptoms I can recognize them straight away Uh, but in those real raw moments it's just that pure heartbreak and grief And I don't think a lot of people realize that in themselves that it's grief. It might not, it doesn't have to be a miscarriage to be grief. It can be a negative pregnancy test that can like make you have a reaction the same to grief. It can be an embryo not making it. It can be anything along this journey that makes you feel like you've lost something. You've lost the ability to have baby with your friend that you were pregnant with at the same time. If you've miscarried, you lost the ability. Like for me now, I look at, when I started trying and my friend's kids that are now having their second birthdays and I'm like, oh, I could be there with a kid if it all worked out well. There's all these different stages of grief that you feel. Um, but for a lot of people, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to say my um, situations, everyone's, because a lot of people is real depression mm-hmm. and that's very normal and it's very common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I appreciate you kind of speaking to that because I think grief is a is a, an easier word for us to stomach to kind of understand it. So, yeah, I, I do appreciate that. Um, out of curiosity, because I'm in a season at the moment where I feel like I'm being kind of tested, what, are, <laughs> what, what lessons do you feel that you have learned or what have you learned about yourself during this, you know, now three-year sort of journey, like, I'm sure you're not the same person you were three years ago. By design, you won't be either. But yeah, what are what are some of the good takeaways that this has afforded you? Yeah, um, my relationship is stronger without a doubt with my husband. Um, our communication is amazing. It's never been a problem, but it's so much better. Um, we will 
kind of call each other out a little bit more, I guess, than we ever, we probably would be too scared to do. It's like cause those conversations or it's like, hey, you're in a negative place. Go do some breathing exercises, go do a meditation and come back when you're feeling better. Um, but also if it's more than that, talking that out, recommending therapy to each other, you know, calling each other out, being like, I think you need to go and actually talk to someone, recognizing those times. Um, but also I am a more empathetic person now, without a doubt. Um, I've always been kind of a to the point, straight up type of personality. Um, I'm your friend that will give you the advice that you don't really want to hear, but you need to hear. That's my personality. But I, I I think that's softened, like this experience has definitely softened me a little in the way I'm more empathetic and more able to relate to people going through things like grief, like things that are slightly different that I wouldn't be able to relate to them if I hadn't have gone through this. Um, And also the fact that I can handle more than I ever thought I could. Yeah, that's a which is a empowering feeling too, you know, once you yeah. take on anything now, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you did touch on meditation. So just lastly, I wanted to ask, you know, is there I like calling it woo-woo. And I mean it with the most respect, but I love like, you know, there are so many other alternative things that we can do as well that can help us and whether they're placebo or they are actually helping. What uh yeah, what have you kind of embarked on? You mentioned some meditation and some breathing. Yeah. my husband is obsessed with Jay Shetty and everything he does okay. uh, so he yeah. is a like person that you can access for free his podcast talk you through meditations that yeah. type of thing breathing exercises um I am very into the woo-woo I always have been so I do like I'll go to card reader Um, just to kind of give me that little bit of reassurance or kind of sound things out, I guess, within my mind. Uh, Also been to an energy healer type person, so not a card reader, but kind of does the colours and the um, Reiki and that kind of thing. That was amazing for me. Um, Giving me mantras, like I really do use mantras now, which I never did before you know, telling myself miracles can happen, miracles do happen, just saying that to myself when I'm in moments of doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's doctors and all that type of thing, nutritionists are important, and especially therapists and psychologists, they are important. But that doesn't mean you have to fit into that, and that's the only thing you do. You you can do whatever you want for yourself outside of that. Yeah. I uh, actually have a podcast on my thing with my good friend T who – she does do card readings, really positive ones. Um, and it was really, we did it during COVID, our whole family. We each had a session with her over Zoom. And yeah, I I know some, it can cause an audible eye roll from certain people, you know, when you say something like that. But if you haven't given it a go and you're in a season of being kind of stuck or rigid, if you find the right person who just gives you kind of like some positivity that you kind of, it almost feels like whilst you're in control, there's also other things at play. It's actually a really, I found in it, my whole family actually during a really stressful season, it was nice to re to bring hope back into the equation. And sometimes when you're so fixated on your current chapter, it's hard to even comprehend or imagine, especially if you have depression like me, like imagine a better future when your brain's telling you like, nah, impossible. So uh, yeah, I do it. I lean into that as well. It's great. And it's fun. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah. It is. It is. And I think it kind of, we all know it, or we should all know it, but it kind of reminds you that there's so much more at play than than just us and what's in our mind. It's like 
things are actually working for you, not against you. Um, and I don't like saying I don't say anymore. Everything happens for a reason because you know there's lots of things that have happened in this journey that are for no reason and are just plain horrible. But in a sense, I still believe that on some level because you can take out away like we just touched on. We can take the positives away from this experience. And so I'm going through this for a reason. And I hope one day in the future I can do something work-wise that is because of what I've been through. So on some level, I do still believe everything happens for a reason. I think those appointments can kind of bring you back to that in a way. It's like, oh yeah, the universe is working with me. I need to understand that. I need to kind of stop stressing, get out of my head a little bit um, and just kind of sit back and believe in that love that that's awesome hey I've taken up more of your time than I anticipated but thank you so much what an absolute joy and pleasure chatting to you today and where can people find uh your podcast and you and information um yeah so our podcast is called infertility sisters uh and we are on Facebook in a private group if you want to join there we are on Instagram I am on TikTok I'm not very good at it but we are there too if you want to um, find us and if you want to tune into the podcast, if you want to know that it's for you, uh, my story is shared throughout the last couple of years of the podcast and different episodes. And we also have other everyday New Zealanders telling their story. We have some an embryologists, nutritionists, um, acupuncturists, physio health, all that type of person, um, people on there. So there's something there for you that will be interesting to you. And then, yeah, our lovely Justine um, was joined us last week to tell her story so there will be something hopefully that relates to you and your story that you can get from it and it's on podcast it's on yeah all the podcast forms spotify apple awesome oh thank you so much babe it was a real joy meeting you you too thank you so much 